This show is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. If you're starting a show, I highly recommend using Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, everyone? Welcome into an episode of Slap Talk. I'm your host, Amil Sarfani, and this is my sports card show. You can follow me on Instagram at the Slap Talk. You can also follow me on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate you tuning in today. I think it's going to be a really good show with a lot of good information. Uh, today's show is my what, when, and how behind buying and selling graded sports cards. And I, the reason I think this is an important topic is because, especially in today's market, there's a ton of options uh, on what types of cards you're buying, who you're buying, um, and there's a lot of opportunity out there. So having a process in place for how you actually buy these cards and sell these cards um, is really important. And it determines a lot of your success before you've ever spent the money. Um, and so today I kind of want to walk through what my process is behind buying and selling cards and, and how I strategize. Um, because when I make mistakes uh, in the card market or when I even have cards that do really, really well, I can always look back at my process and kind of determine either where I went right or where I went wrong. Um, and so hopefully you get a lot of value out of today's episode. Uh, and so let's jump right in. I want to talk first about a buying strategy. So like the old adage goes, you know, you make your money on the buy. So having that strategy in place um, about uh, what you actually buy um, is really important. And I'm going to start off with, uh, you know, with this idea that research is really the basis of how to be successful in your sports card buying strategy, um, having options and not just keeping track of when I say research, not just having keeping track of the cards that you know exist already, right? I use card ladder. So I have a lot of my cards updated on my watch list, but if you're not constantly adding cards to your watch list or your eBay watch list, or just cards that you know exist, then it's hard for you to have a lot of options when you determine this is the amount of money I want to put into the card market today. Um, and if you're only looking at a few cards and you start seeing the prices go up, you start feeling that FOMO feeling and you want and you get stuck in the chase. So having options, knowing the card market, constantly finding new cards is a really important part of your buying strategy. And it's, and it's something that you do on a daily basis. Uh, and not just when you actually have the money to spend, it's done every single day so that when you have the money to spend, you actually know what you're doing and you're not rushing into anything that you're doing, um, especially uh, in the graded sports card world. So first of all, let's talk about the what, the strategy behind what you're buying. Um, none of us are working with a limitless pit of money here. So um, once you determine your budget, the next thing is to determine how much risk that you're about to take on with that certain buy or 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 if you're going to be sprinkling that buy or if you believe in a play really deeply and so you're going to go narrow and, and spend it all on you know one play. Um, that's all part of that strategy of what you're actually going to buy. Um, but once you've determined your risk level and that risk level really comes into what players that you're trying to buy. So if you want to stay low risk, you're going to be end up, you're going to end up buying someone um, that's either in the Hall of Fame or retired or vintage, right? That's how you keep your risk a little bit lower. And if you're willing to risk a little bit more because you're trying to flip that card, you may be playing in the modern market a little bit more. But 
once you determine how much risk you're willing to take on with the amount of money that you're about to spend, um, I, I have a practice that um, I have to answer three questions for myself. So it's um, what are my price expectations for the card, which means, you know, for me to where's my entry point and also where's my exit point. Um, the time frame that I'm going to be holding that card uh, for, um, and, and and this is where NBA context really matters, keeping an idea of where the NBA cycle is and where the attention currently is in the NBA market, um, or for whatever sport that you're trading in is really important because you can actually time your buys based on the actual context of the sport at that very moment. Um, and the other part of it was the risk part of it that I just talked about, right? So for me, when it comes down to, and I'm going to walk through this process with a card and a purchase that I just made this week. Um, for me, I had about $3,000 that I was willing to put into the card market this week, and uh, I wanted to be risky with it, especially with the fact that I had already put a ton of money into my Kobe Bryant collection and my Shaquille O'Neal and Tim Duncan collection and my LeBron collection. I wanted to be a little riskier with this buy because um, I feel really good about that long-term par- part of my collection right now. Um, and so with this particular investment that I'm about to make, um, for me, it was what am I buying um, and Again, what are my price expectations and what what time frame am I looking at? What's my hold period? Uh, because uh, this is one of the cards that I, I, I do eventually plan to move or flip. Um, and so for me, I just went through this process and I determined that um, I felt like there was a really big opportunity and still do that there's a big opportunity in Anthony Davis cards, right? 2012 Anthony Davis Prism PSA 10s in particular. And you can play in the PSA 9s or wherever your budget is for that particular card or for that particular player. That's All this still applies. For me, I want it to be in the 2012 Anthony Davis Prism PSA 10 uh, card. So, you know, I'm seeing the card actually drop in value right now. At the beginning of the season, it had climbed up to about 2400 um, and it's dipping all the way down to about 1825 the last auction went. Um, and so for me, it's like, okay, one... What's the reason it's going down in value? And two, um, is it actually a good opportunity? Or is it actually just not a, you know, is it just going to continue to lose value? Um, So for me, the way I went through that process with Anthony Davis was um, I can already tell myself because I I know what's going on in the basketball world that um, Lakers just came off a championship run. They only had 71 days off. Um, between seasons and whatever LeBron is doing right now is a testament to LeBron and how amazing LeBron James is that he's playing at an MVP level with such a short amount of time off between seasons. But the fact that Anthony Davis and even other Lakers uh, are, are slow to start a little bit, that explain. I mean, that's that's explainable in my mind, right? And so I'm willing to buy that dip and say, not only do I think it's a good value right now, but I think that his cards peaked at back in August. So I think that's where his peak is or his old peak was. Um, And so my price expectation is that I think that I can buy this card for $1,800 today. Um, And at a minimum, I think that they're going to be in the playoff discussion. In fact, I think they're going to win the the championship this year, but at a minimum, they're going to be part of the playoff hype. So do I believe that a second championship to Anthony Davis could potentially beat his peak? I do believe that. But at a minimum, I think that his car should be at least 3000 3500 considering where other guys of his caliber are going right now, um, especially with the championship under his belt. So my price expectation is buying it at 1800 
I think at a minimum I can resell it at 33500 before the playoffs. And I really think that the upside is that it breaks out of that peak. And at that point, you know, who knows what price it, it, it gets to, especially um, with the amount of money that's in the hobby right now. Uh, and once the attention comes back to the modern world, which I think will happen. So um, I determined that with, I, I determined that price expectation with Anthony Davis and then the time frame piece of it. What's my whole time looking like uh, for that particular card, right? And so for me, the way I look at it is that May is going to be when the playoffs are uh, happening at the end of May. And so uh, that's three months from now. So I think within three months, I could be potentially looking at a, a card that doubles and maybe more in value. Um, and so I think it's a really good play, but that's the process I went through with that particular buy was... Uh, the risk level, I wanted to flip a card. I wanted to be risky. I wanted to play in the modern market again. The price expectation, where I'm getting in at, where I think it could go, and also the time frame. How long am I willing to hold that card? I think within three to four months, that card is at least doubling, if not more. Um, and I think it's a really, really good opportunity. Um, and so that's how I go through that what of, uh, of my buying strategy. Now, I want to talk about kind of when I'm buying. And this is a really relevant discussion right now, especially with the boom that the 90s players and vintage is going through right now. Um, there's a lot of FOMO out there of, oh man, I'm not into those cards right now. What do I do? Do I get in? Do I spend at the at the really high prices right now? So I'll give you a rule of thumb. And this boom that we're seeing in the 90s and, and, and vintage is really testing my theory, but I don't typically like to buy cards that have already quadrupled or have already double, tripled or quadrupled in value in the last three to six months. If that has already happened in my mind, the next phase of that is really a correction to get it back in place to where uh, it makes sense again. What we're seeing right now, I think, is just a lot of pent up demand. Those cards were severely undervalued before this. So, you know, I still think they're good buys. I think there's better buys even within those players than buying the flagship brands. Um, but again, once a card has doubled, tripled, or quadrupled in value like what we're seeing right now, I'm typically going to stay away for a minute, let the market do its thing, um, and continue to look forward. Um, if you develop the mindset to continue to look forward and not to look backwards or to what just happened in the hobby, it allows you to stay ahead of it a little bit and not get behind it. As soon as you're chasing cards that have already double, tripled in value, you're playing in the part of that curve that becomes risky, even for players that are not risky, because you could be theoretically buying at a peak in that card mark, in that card market and that card cycle. I'm not saying that those cards have peaked in value or that they've hit the peak that they're going to hit forever, but they've potentially already hit a peak when they've already doubled and tripled and quadrupled in value in the short term. And therefore, I'm going to let it play out. No market goes linearly up. And therefore, I'm going to make the bet that at some point, I'm going to be able to get back into those cards at a future date and I'm not going to chase. Um, and so, I think that's really important, especially right now with what we're seeing uh, in the in the boom that's happening in the 90s in the vintage market. Um, and that's just a theory. That's my rule of thumb. It's kept me safe from buying at peaks that I had at before in August. You know, that's what I learned in the August uh, boom it was, especially in the modern market. Cards that already double, tripled. I had made a couple bad buys um, thinking that, oh, it's going to keep going. And you know what? Nothing really always keeps going up. Um, I learned that the hard way. Um and so I think that 
there's a potential that people are going to learn that with this 90s boom as well. Um, that's just the theory that I work with. The other part of it is when the when part of this is buy the dips. Don't be afraid of it. Develop the mindset that you believe in the sports card market. If you're in right now, you got to believe in the card market. And especially when cards are dipping for players that you believe in or players that have already won championships, um, buy those dips. Don't be afraid um, because that's when you get the most opportunity. Buying the off season, that's a really great opportunity to buy. Um, you should be selling, liquidating, and holding some cash so that when cards dip, you can buy into those cards at that time. It's the best time to buy. It's the easiest way to make money in the card market, no matter which sport you're playing in. Buy those dips. That's a huge rule of thumb for me. Don't buy cards that have already tripled in value in the last three to six months and buy the dips. For the when of my buying strategy, that's basically it. Now I want to jump into how I buy. Um, and this is a process kind of uh, a conversation about once I've determined what cards I want to buy, once I've determined my strategy of how I want to go uh, into the card market or how I want to spend a certain amount of money that I've determined I want to spend, how do you actually go about obtaining those cards? Obviously, there are platforms that exist right now like eBay, MySlabs, Instagram, Facebook, um, where most of the cards are at right now, especially eBay. At the end of the day, eBay is where most of the cards are available. Um, so that's where I start. Um, I do like to follow you know, people on Instagram that I really like that sell cards that I typically like to go for or in the range of cards that I like. I like to look at their story, see if they're doing any story sales. That's always a good way to just see if anybody's selling the card that you're looking for, especially if it's a somewhat popular card. Um, the other piece of this is um, you should have your own Instagram, especially if you're in the card market right now. It really helps in the buying and selling. You know, When you're buying on eBay, you're paying sales tax if you're like me and you're, you're in a state of sales tax. So I'm in Texas, so... Uh, we pay eight and a quarter sales tax. Anytime I can avoid that 8% on sales tax, I'm already starting ahead of the, the the curve on that kind of return metric. So if you're only buying and selling on eBay, you have a 20% premium, basically, Thir you know, 8% when you buy, if you're paying sales tax and 13% when you sell. So a card has to go up a minimum of 20% before you make even a single dollar on it. Um, so avenues around buying and selling only on eBay really help. You can only buy on sell on eBay. I think that's fine too. Uh, if there's a safety aspect of what you're doing um, and, and you want to stay safe and that makes you feel like you're buying cards in a safe way, go for it. It makes a lot of sense. I get that. Um, but tip number one here is to look at the username of the eBay uh, seller that you're trying to get the card from or you've identified that they have a card that you like. First things first, go see if they have an Instagram. A lot of the big eBay sellers right now do have Instagrams that match their eBay usernames. Um, and so the first thing you want to do is go and, um, and and see if they have an Instagram and message them on Instagram. Um, and a little phrase I use, you know, and keep it quiet, uh, is uh, so that it doesn't tip off eBay right now is my name is the same on the gram. And that's a way to tell the person, look at my username and find me on Instagram, right? So that requires you to have the same name as uh, as you do on eBay and on Instagram. So I think that's a really 
important. That's helped me a ton in getting people off of eBay and onto Instagram is to have the same name so that they can find you. Um, and that's a little phrase I use the, the, my name is the same on the gram. Um, that helps people kind of know, Hey, come find me on Instagram, but that way you can kind of avoid some of those fees, uh, on the upfront buy. Um, the other part of this is if you are buying on Instagram, PSA, you got to pay with PayPal goods and services. A lot of sellers, pretty much every seller out there will try to get you to pay friends and family. Easy way to get scammed. Even if you trust the people ahead of you. Uh, or that you're that you're working with, just use PayPal goods and services. For sellers out there, it's three percent. Just pay it. It's it's really not that bad. It gives everyone protection. Keep in mind that the only reason that this uh, card market and the hobby is growing as much as it is is because we trust that when I buy online, you're going to ship me my card and I'm going to receive it in the condition that I believe it should be in. If that trust goes away we have a real problem in the card market. So use PayPal goods and services. And a lot of sellers try to get around it by saying, I bought insurance for the card. Don't worry, pay me friends and family. Seller insurance is not buyer insurance. So when you're on, uh, when you insure the card, when a seller insures the card, that insures them, not you as the buyer. So if something happens in transit, and I, this is what I tell all my sellers as well. Hey man, I'm not I'm not buying, I don't want to pay goods and services because I'm afraid of you scamming me. I'm afraid of USPS or FedEx losing the package. And if that happens, the burden of that cost actually falls onto me because I don't actually have a technical way to get my money back. And that's not how sellers ever work in any industry. That burden should be on the seller to get you the item in in the condition that it's supposed to be in. That's a seller burden, not a buyer burden. You should not take on that burden. Uh, and if someone says, I bought insurance for the card, it should be enough. Please pay me friends and family. Tell them, look, that's your insurance. If the card gets lost, eBay or, or USPS will pay you. They're not going to pay me. Uh, and you don't technically have to refund the money because, again, I didn't pay for goods and services. So pay goods and services. I can't stress that enough. That should just be the standard in the hobby. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's all about trust. Let's take trust out of it. Let's keep trust. I understand it. I get it. We can build community and I can I can like you as a person, um, but I don't want to trust that my card's going to get there. It's not about you as a seller. It's about USPS. It's about the shipping service. So um, that's my how on buying. So hopefully that helps you in your buying strategy of the what, when, and how. A couple tips uh, on just uh, your card collection, how I view buying, uh, and when I'm starting to try to invest some money. So a couple tips, one, don't compare your collection to anyone else's. I know that's really tough, especially in the Instagram world where you're seeing everyone post their cards. I mean, I'm posting my cards all the time. So I know it's really hard to not compare your collection to other people, but you have to get used to it because otherwise you're going to try to buy everything and you can't buy everything. There's just too many options out there. So try to stop comparing your collection to someone else's. One, two, don't get over leveraged in the card market. If you're doing something where you're maxing out credit cards or whatever it is to get your cards or, or make your buys, don't do it. And if you make your profits, pay off any of your debt that you're that you're taking on to buy uh, sports cards right now. Um, it's a really easy way to one make bad decisions because if you're over leveraged, you just generally naturally make short term, short sighted decisions. So 
Keep yourself safe. Only invest what you think you can lose um, and don't get over leveraged. Um, mm-hmm. and, and two con- or three, look forward. Don't look backwards. If prices have already gone up in a certain part of the market, continue looking forward. Keep your research goggles on and try to find where the next opportunity is. The sh- attention will shift. The opportunity will go somewhere else. So if you didn't get in on the 90s boom, that's okay. Find the next thing. There are other opportunities and eventually this will figure itself out. It'll correct a little bit and the attention will shift back to where, um, you know, once the NBA comes back into playoff mode, where do you think the attention is going to shift? It's going to shift back into some of the higher value modern players like Anthony Davis, like Kawhi Leonard, like LeBron James and Kevin Durant, James Harden. Like those guys are going to have a ton of attention because the hype of them winning a championship and adding to their legacy is going to push their prices up. So there's a lot of good ways to play in that market right now. I think the opportunity is there right now. So that's my um, that's my buying uh, what, when, and how. I'm going to also now go through my selling what, when, and how. Um, and so um, when you're talking about what to sell, I think that there is a um, a strategy here that I like to use that it, I, u- I look at my collection from the bottom up. What are the cards that I least want? And those are the cards that I want to sell. Not necessarily cards that I've profited on. At some point, I, I do have this idea that once a card is doubled and tripled, maybe it's time to take some profits. But when it's time, but when you're looking at selling some stuff, maybe it's time to sell uh, cards that you stop believing in. And so that practice really requires you to look at your collection as a whole um, and go through the process of saying, what do I believe is going to happen to that card moving forward and not necessarily what has already happened to it? Because some of the long-term buys that I currently have that I've thought through that I've already made a ton of money on because of this 90s boom, part of me is like, okay, I could take my profits and go. But if I'm trying to open up some funds, I know that there's the cards that I own right now that I don't necessarily believe are going to double and triple in value over the next three to six months. So if I'm going to sell anything, it's going to be those cards first before I sell the cards that I think over the long term are going to continue to go up, even if it's not the way they've gone up in the last three to six months, if that makes sense. That's a good process I like to put in is look at your collection as a whole looking forward. And again, don't look backwards on your collection when you're trying to figure out what to sell. When you're trying to figure out how to sell, um, again, your major platforms are out there, eBay, Instagram, Facebook. Now you've got things like MySlabs. There's other oper- other ways to sell. But again, eBay is the place that you're going to get the most eyeballs. So it's important that you get used to using eBay and don't be afraid to use auctions on eBay. I, I, I use five to seven day auctions um, a lot to get rid of some of my cards, especially ones that don't have a ton of attention that I, you know, maybe I didn't buy at the right time or, or cards that don't have a ton of attention on them because they're super low pop, whatever it is, auctions work really well just so that you can get those funds and move forward. Um, and the other piece of this is your eBay username again, should be the same as your Instagram. If you have one and start posting some cards on Instagram so that you, uh, uh, 52 cards, um, and, not a lot of opportunity. I saw it. So we went over there, saw the card, figured out that's what I want to go to. The guy did not want to let it go. He was asking $32,000 for the card. Now, the last comp for the card was 18600 So I said, okay, let's see. Look at my cards. See if you even like any of my cards because I can't pay you 24000 I can't pay you cash that much. I don't have that much on me. But if you like any of my cards, let me know. And he pulled out my 2007 Kevin Durant Finest Refractor in a PSA 10. That's the card I want. That's that's the one he wanted. 
And so we started building a trade around it. Um, and again, this is why I say bring cards that people want because it really helped to be able to move into a higher end card by having a lower end card uh, that's that's has that has a lot of potential. And I think that 2007 Kevin Durant Refractor PSA 10 is a $15,000 card. Now, I picked it up at $3,150. I paid $3,150 for that card, and we agreed to assign a value of $8,000 to that card. So I was able to move on it because I feel like I've already taken my profits. I also have another one at home, so I'm good. I feel like I have that card. Um, and we worked out the deal. So, uh, you know, the six cards that I traded uh, for the 2008 Topps Chrome uh, for Kobe X Fractor was um, the... 2007 Kevin Durant Refractor in a PSA 10. I also included two Kevin Durant Black Border Tops in PSA 9s. Assigned values of about 1500 each of those. Uh, I included two Kawhi Leonard Prism PSA 10s. Um, and then I included uh, an Anthony Davis Prism PSA 10 as well. Um, now, you're asking me, you know, Amil, you let go of Kawhi Leonard and, and Anthony Davis cards. And I have been talking about Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis cards. But I picked up eight Anthony Davis Prism PSA 10s. So moving on from one or two of them, and I picked up three Kawhi Leonard Prism PSA 10s. So moving on from two of them to move into a card like this makes all the sense in the world for me. And so that's what I did. I put those six cards together. Uh, we came up with a, a value of about $20,000 for those six cards. And then I added in $5,000 in cash for that deal. Now he also wanted my Kevin Durant Bowman Chrome but what I did was I said, I'm not going to pull that card in there. I'll give you my Black Border PSA 9s and 5000 in cash. I'd rather give you that than, uh, sell, than, than include the 2007 Bowman Chrome uh, Kevin Durant in a PSA 10 that I have. So that's how those deals went down. Um, it was a really fun show. Again, I added some huge grail cards to it. Uh, and, and, and I can't have speak highly, more highly of the people I got to work with and people I got to meet uh, at the show. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. Follow me on Instagram at the Slap Talk. Uh, I will be posting on my Instagram a consolidation post that will show exactly what I'm talking about and how I got into the 2008 Kobe Bryant uh, uh, X Fractor and a PS and a BGS 95. So you'll see that um, as well. So keep a lookout. Um, but again, what a great show! Go to card shows. A uh, great way to move into higher end cards because you can actually trade with the peace of mind that someone's not going to screw you. It's all in person. Bring some cash with you. Uh, and thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, and share with your friends and, and like and review. So thanks and have a good day.